There's something written on your heart. It's the guiding force in your life. And when the storms of life come, the writing comes to the surface. Your story and all of its baggage is written on your heart. But there's another story, and God says that we are to write it on our hearts. The Bible, 66 books with over 30,000 verses. Now that sounds like a pretty tall order, but Jesus' life provides the perfect example of scripture that is etched on the heart. When Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, his response is straight out of Deuteronomy. On his way to being crucified, Jesus continues to quote scripture. And finally, as Jesus surrenders his spirit, he quotes Psalm 22. His father's words were on the front of his mind and on the tip of his tongue at every moment. But Jesus didn't just know the scriptures, he lived the scriptures. They weren't just words on a page to him. They were the foundation upon which he built his life. And God invites us to do the same. But Jesus said something pretty shocking about the scriptures. He confronted a group of religious leaders who were trying to earn eternal life by studying the scriptures and said to them, you're looking in the wrong place. The scriptures all point to one thing, me. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So don't think that the scriptures lead to eternal life. They don't. They lead to Jesus, the author of eternal life. And studying them is not about knowing a bunch of nice sayings. It's about knowing a person, Jesus. To know Jesus is to know scripture. And to know scripture is to know the heart of the Father. For it contains the very words of God. His words were meant to become a part of you, to course through your veins, to be lived out. Something is written on your heart, and it's either your words or God's, either your story or God's story. So may you find your place in God's story. May you delight in his word. And may that word be forever written on your heart. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our 217faith.church weekly service where we believe in preaching a godly biblical perspective, putting others first, and living out a Christ-like faith in action. We greet you in the name of the Lord and hope that you will hear God's word today and be moved into faithful action. We'd like to direct you to our ministry website, 217faith.church, where you may find previous services and other teachings to aid you in your Christian walk. Also, opportunities there to put your faith into action. During the month of August, we continue to partner with World Vision's Child Sponsorship Program to help get children from around the world out of poverty into good health and into God's loving arms through the sharing of his gospel. Please give all that you can as often as you can. Consider as a family sponsoring a child for, for a year for just $39 a month and let us be a blessing to others out of God's merciful blessings towards us. Our scripture for today comes from 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, and I'm actually going to be reading it from the message paraphrase. And the word of God says, so be content with who you are and don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you at the right time. 
Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. Keep a cool head and stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only one plunged into these hard times. It is the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before his generous or our generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans for they are. will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. And may we find hope in our reading of God's word. As we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, we want to share with you a resource that has become available from 217 uh, Ministries. And, and it's just a, it's a deep a study into the wilderness experience of many characters uh, throughout Scripture and how God saw them through their particular times of struggles. And how God, of course, at the other side of that, used even their experiences to be a blessing of others. Uh, throughout these pages, you will find uh, my own testimony intertwined in there. So we uh, surrender this to you and we pray that God will use it as a, as, as a blessing in your life. Uh, you can visit Visit our website, ministry website, 217faith.church, and then you'll be able to find some links so that you can get uh, your own copy, all for the honor and glory of God. So the songwriter and worship leader, Chris Tomlin, took a well-known hymn of the church and added a twist, a little bit of a twist in a new tune. The song, of course, is Amazing Grace. The words are simple. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The Lord has promised good to me, his word my hope secure. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. And then Chris adds, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. Even when we think of the events of Easter or Christmas or, or just about any other day that brings us closer to an understanding of our need for God's love, mercy, and wisdom in our lives, we may wonder, what's it all about? Why even bother? Well, the short answer is grace. God cares over us is about grace. God's provision for us is about grace. God's rescue over us is about grace. Grace is, you see, God's unmerited gift bestowed upon his creation. What does that mean? It means that you can't earn it. It means that you can't work for it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it or to gain it. It is only by God's desire alone that we are shown such an amazing grace. The Bible illuminates this belief when it says you are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possess. It is not something you did that you will not then go and be proud of it. But even then, why even bother? What's the purpose of it all? The apostle Paul once again grants us the answer in the next verse in Ephesians 2 verse 10, where he says, we are God's accomplishment created in Christ Jesus to do good things. Remember that. And God planned for those good things to be the way that we live our lives. Now, here are the three key words concerning the human equation or the human condition. First, we are God's accomplishment. Second, we are created to do good. And third, that good is something which God already specifically planned for each of us. You see, the meaning of life is not found in simply looking inward or meditating or repeating chants. It is not discovered in relationships, in substance, in educations, or even in self-expressions. The meaning of life is to do what God said for each one of us to do. 
The Bible says we are forgiven by grace. We don't deserve it, yet God says, I forgive you. So let me, let's make one thing clear in case it is not. We are not shown amazing grace in our lives so that we can keep on living a life of disobedience, of selfish actions, so, but so that we may follow the path that God sets for us, not the one that the world pressures us to live in. You see, the world lies to us. It says, you be you. Don't worry about anything else. What others think. Do what feels right to you. Yet these selfish thinkings will not sustain us in this life. Only obedience brought upon by God's grace can do that. And that's precisely what we read about in our opening scripture for today. Additionally, we are told that we are sustained by grace. Philippians 2.13, God is always working in you to give you the will and the power to do what he calls you to do. You see that? So God's grace is so that we can do good, uh, good purposes and goodwill and, and good things that he has set for us. And then now in Philippians, we're told he's working in us to give us the power to do that. And that power is called God's grace. It is prevenient. It is ongoing. It is forever. God heals our broken hearts and binds our wounds because of his grace. It is a liberating experience, which means that we don't have to live under the yoke of legalism. The Christian path is not a bunch of chores to do or restrictions from fun. No, but it is about intimacy with God and community with other believers and enjoying God's creation from within that scope. God has gifted each one of us with the ability to do something well and to use that ability for his honor and glory. However, when we continue in disobedience, we risk forfeiting our present and eternal fellowship with him. Yes, nothing indeed can stop God from loving us, but our continued sin can put us outside of the reach of that grace. Yes, it is possible. If we refuse to repent and continue to deliver, disobey him, then this is what will happen. Yet God will help us, says the scriptures. He will sustain us when we remain faithful to him. In the book of Jude, in the scriptures, uh, verse 24, it says, he's able to keep you from falling. What does this mean? He is able to keep you from falling. It reminds me of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are characters in the Old Testament. And, and, and their, their fiery ordeal, by the way, there is a chapter in the book about the wilderness experience about them in there. And, and they, they believe and proclaim that God would save them. And, and even if he didn't, that they would remain faithful to him. So no matter what may come our way, God is our strength. He is our source of hope. He will sustain us and help us even in the face of the impossibility. Through God's amazing grace, we are transformed and can mature in our walk with him. Second Peter 3.18 says, grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Friends, everything that God does in you and for you and through you, he does by grace. Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote books such as uh, Treasure Island and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, is quoted as having said, there is nothing but God's grace. We walk upon it, we breathe it, we live it, and we die by it. It makes the nails and the axles of the universe work. For this reason, we celebrate the work of God's grace in the person of his son, Jesus, who not only came to earth as a baby, but then took on the punishment for the entire world that we deserved on a wooden cross and ultimately rose from the dead to defeat the schemes of the devil. He did this so that you and I may not perish, but may have everlasting life. What does perish mean? That we will not be lost, but we could have a life of eternity with him. Would it not be a tragedy if somehow uh, someone that, that had listened to a message such as, this, such as this and still did not fully grasp grace? Which brings me to the question that as an evangelist, I must always ask, have you experienced the amazing grace of God in your life? 
Do you want to be saved and forgiven from your sins, from your disobedience? Do you want to be sustained and healed, liberated, kept, transformed, and matured in your walk with God? The choice is yours to make. Confess your sins, your disobedience against his will. Accept this grace of God and he will forgive you. Yet you may still be wondering, well, then how, how do we then come about uh, fully enjoying or partaking God's amazing grace? The scripture told us this that we read today, and that is by being content. All the translations in the Bible says that we must humble ourselves to and to God, that is, and trusting in God's purpose, in the work of grace of Jesus, that is, on the cross. It is just as simple as knowing that God is in control of every situation. Once again, the Bible confirms in John 1.17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source. Grace and truth comes through him alone. If you don't get it through Christ, then you don't get it at all. Not from the government, not from a friend. You're not going to get it from the coolest church down the street. People and organizations can show grace, but only Jesus is the source of grace. We certainly don't get grace through religion, no, or even denominational associations. In Jesus' time, the Pharisees, who were the keepers of the law, the teachers of the law, were only interested in people keeping the requirement of the law rather than teaching the people the intent of the law, which was to keep them focused and reliant on God. This led to people living under a heavy yoke of the law and its impossibilities, yet that was never God's intention. God intended to set his people aside wholly unto himself, not deprived and sinful disobedient like the rest of the world. Additionally, we understand from scripture that we do not get grace through rituals. It does not happen through baptism or communion, although these are good things to practice. But we do get grace through our fellowship and relationship with Christ. In the Bible, in Romans 5, 10 to 11, we read, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by him. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, continues there in Romans, though whom we have now received reconciliation for. Therefore, when we enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, we are experiencing God's grace. And then as the Holy Spirit of God dwells in the believer's life, he produces godly fruit that sustains our relationship with God. Grace is how we understand God's mercies and how we reflect our obedience to him. It's free. All we have to do is accept it. But it is not cheap. As we have already mentioned, it costs Jesus quite dearly. We can only remember the acts of Jesus when we acknowledge the fact that he also died for us. After all, if he had not died, he would not have come back from the dead, defeating death itself. So what then is the actual work of grace that Jesus performed on the cross for us? Number one, Jesus covered the wages of sin. The cost of my sin is death, eternal separation from fellowship with God. And yet Jesus laid the role for which we may be restored to that eternal connection. Number two, Jesus defeated the hold of sin. He now gives us the power to change bad habits and hurts and hangups and our dependence on other people and other things in our lives that mess us up. And yes, believe me, we all have them. And number three, Jesus ensured that sin itself would one day be eliminated. Remember, heaven is a place where there is no pain, no sorrow, no sin. Jesus guaranteed it because of the work of grace. He was willing to perform this for our sake on the cross. But why would he do this? Knowing that we would deny him from time to time. 
because he thinks we are worth it. The scriptures found in 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. That's what we mean when we say amazing grace. He was willing to do it all. Rick Warren tells the story of a facility near the city of San Juan Campos in Brazil, and it's actually a prison. And he says, 20 years ago, the Brazilian government turned it over to a handful of Christians, and they said, you can run it under Christian principles. Except for two full-time staff members, all the work at this facility is done by the inmates. And one day, uh, Chuck Colson, who's actually the founder of Prison Ministries and Breakpoint, went and visited this prison. And he said that he found the inmates smiling and he saw men who were at peace with themselves and with God. He says, I saw clean living areas and people working industriously. The walls were decorated with biblical verses from Psalms and Proverbs. The wind that used to be used for torture not only had one inmate in it. And he tells us that as he reached the access gate to the area, the guy that was with him put the key on the lock and said to him, Do you, are you sure you want to go in? Of course, he says, I've been to uh, many isolation cells throughout the world. So slowly the gate swung in, tells the story, and, the, and they went in and they saw the prisoner in the punishment cell. And really it was a carved crucifix that one of the inmates had made. And then the guy leaned over to him and says, the, prison, the prisoner Jesus hanging on the cross, he's doing time for the rest of us. Friends, that's what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is all about. Grace. And because of grace, Jesus has served our time. He paid our penalty. He died in our place. Jesus took the punishment that we should have taken. Yet again, the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, he became poor for our sake, so that we will become rich through his poverty. I'm not talking about money, but I'm talking about riches in love and mercy and grace. The word grace can actually be written out in an acronym, and it reads, God's riches at Christ's expense. In light then of what Jesus Christ has done for us, what should be our response? And 2 Corinthians 6, 9, I believe gives us the answer. And I want you to hear the urgency in Paul's voice because he says, we are begging you not to receive the grace of God in vain. My friends, grace is not a to-do list. I got this and we check it off and then we're done. It's not the latest electronic gadget for us to uh, upgrade our lives to, although many of us do need a bit of grace upgrade. I know I do from time to time. Because of God's grace, I owe him the rest of my life. I owe him all that I have. I owe him who I am and who I will be. Therefore, we must always respond with gratitude towards God and his will for us. And I promise that the scripture says that he will put us together back on our feet for good. Other translation says he will restore and empower and then strengthen you. I really love this verse. Which begs the question, how can we express gratitude? The dictionary tells us that gratitude is a noun. That means it's an action. And it says that the gratitude is the quality of being thankful, a readiness to show appreciation in return for someone's kindness. So does Jesus kindly pain or sin death, defeating the hold of sin in our lives and completely doing away with sin and eternity requires our gratitude? Absolutely, yes. If you are in Christ, then make sure your life makes this count for 1 Corinthians 6, now 19 reads, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So honor God with your body. You see, we cannot grasp the amazing grace of God and keep on living the same way that we've always lived. You can't simply keep living a life of sin so that God's grace may increase. No, 
repent and be transformed is a one-way street. There's no two ways about it. So instead, let, let the, the way that you treat your body reflect the indwelling work of God's Holy Spirit in you. We can't understand the grace of God and keep on ignoring his commands or keep on washing or wasting, if you will, our time on, on meaningless things. After the failed assassination attempt on President Ronald Reagan, this is back in the 80s, quite a long time ago, Reagan was quoted as saying, I have a new sense that I was spared for a purpose and that all my time belongs to God after that. You see, because of the cross of Calvary, we were spared for a purpose. Jesus Christ did not die so that we go on and live in the same old way, in the same old tired sins, or even invented ones for that matter. Jesus redeemed us all for a purpose. He died for you and for me for a purpose, and he wants us to fulfill it. And because of this, the Apostle Peter, who fully experienced the saving and transforming and restoring grace of God, tells us this, above all. Show sincere love to one another and serve each other according to the gift that each person has. Remember, God gave us gifts to do good things, Peter says, so that we can serve one another. The abilities and the talents and the freedoms and opportunities that we have that, that bless our lives were not given to us so that we can selfishly squander them. They were given for a purpose. God expects each one of us to use those gifts for that purpose, to bless others, to use them and make your life count. And one way that you can do this is by becoming a generous person. After all, God's amazing grace is all about what God was willing to give to us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, you are familiar with the generosity of Jesus as the scripture. Rich as he was, he gave it all away in one stroke. So he became poor so that we could become rich. If you want to measure how much you understand and live out grace in your life, then look at your giving. I'm not just talking about your treasures, but I'm talking about the giving of your time, the giving of your talents as well. For this reason, the Apostle Paul again reminds us, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8, everyone should give whatever they've decided in their hearts. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure, because God loves a cheerful giver. God has the power to provide you with more than enough, says Paul, for every kind of grace. And that way you will always have everything you need and in everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. Remember, it's for good works that we were created. We don't have to go and try to figure out what good works we have to do. We have to simply trust in God to lead us to the good works he has already said before us. You see this word all is the key word. God is a giver of all. God so loved the world that he gave it all. Jesus was a giver and he gave it all up for you and for me. We are never going to be more like Jesus until we learn to give like Jesus. The Christian life is summed up in three words, I believe, love, service, and giving, which are all synonyms for grace. This is why I so appreciate the, the mission of our ministry here. Our purpose is to preach God's news, his good news of Jesus, and to serve people around the world as a community of believers. So we invite you to please join us in those efforts. We will not be like Christ until we learn to be generous with our time, with our money, with our resources, our opportunities, and our talents. Nothing is a greater proof that we understand God's grace than when we are generous towards others and towards God. You see, he doesn't need it, yet 
he shows the magnitude or it will show the magnitude of our gratitude towards him, our level of obedience. As we mentioned earlier, suppose you get uptight or defensive when you hear a preacher talk about giving or, or giving money or giving of your time. In that case, I would dare to say that you don't fully understand grace. If we can trust God with our salvation, with our eternal security, why would we not trust him with our bank accounts, with our talents, with our calendars? The things we have are not ours, but they are on loan to us from God. It is like me going out to my dad and saying, hey, dad, I want to borrow a few bucks. I want to buy you this drill that I saw. Who's really paying for it? My dad is, right? But graciously, I know he'll give me the money. But at the end of the day, it's his money. God does that with us. First, he gives to us generously and abundantly. Then he says, now you go be generous in your giving. Tithe back to me. Why? Because he needs the money. No. We already established that. He wants us to become like him. He doesn't want you to have a hard heart. He wants you to have a Jesus heart. One that breaks for the needs of others. One that is willing to give it all. To bring a message of hope and grace. The Bible again says in Romans 8.32. God didn't spare his own son. But he gave him up for us all. So won't he also freely give us all things in him. It sounds logical, doesn't it? The fact is that I can say that I love God. I can sing that I trust God and that I put him first. But my checkbook, my calendar, they will show the reality of my words, my commitment to my church, to my ministry. Just like God's gifts of salvation, his love, mercy, and grace are not meant for me to hide away, but to share with others freely. After all, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. And it's not mine to keep, but it is meant to be shared. Did you hear that? God has set us apart to be good. He created us to be good. He's out there preparing those good deeds that we are to do, that we are to perform. And now we are being reminded that for this reason, Jesus came to show us what good looks like. Be grateful then, my friends. Also learn to give freely, trusting that God will provide. But finally, go and share the good news of God's grace. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Acts 20, 24. He says, but nothing is more important than completing my mission to testify about the good news of God's grace. The most important thing in life are not getting married or funding your retirement or traveling a lot or having lots of fun, becoming famous, paying off your house. Those are nice. If you can do those things, great. But it is not what the Bible says. It says that the most important thing in life is to fulfill our mission as a result of what Jesus did on the cross. So go throughout the world and bring Jesus to people. Your world may just be outside your street. Your world may be at school where you go, at the job where you're at. That may be the world that Jesus is calling you to go and minister to. God put you and me on this earth for a reason and for a purpose. He has a mission that only you can fulfill. If somebody died for you, would you not want to know about it? Of course you would. And yet we know that Jesus died for every single person in the world. So they need to know about it. And it is up to us Christians that have to share it. Many people are simply home today, unaware of the amazing grace of God. They are our neighbors, as we said. They might even be our friends. The Bible again tells us in 2 Peter that the Lord is not willing that anyone should be lost or perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone restored to his family. You see, only those that accept his salvation are his children. But all can accept the gift of God if we tell them about it. Everybody needs Jesus because God cares 
we must care for those that don't know him yet. One of the ways we show gratitude for our salvation is to share the good news with other people. When we don't, people will die without God's grace. Who is going to be in heaven because of your obedient act when God called you to do so? So why not pray with me right now? That God would open up our mouth and he would open up our hearts to see the faces of the people around us who are in desperate need of his amazing grace. You see, this lost world is mistakenly trying to find the answer to their troubles in affairs and work and sports and hobbies. And yet there is a large hole in their lives that only the grace of God can fill. But how will they know unless we tell them? Friends, the way we show our gratitude for the amazing grace of God in our lives is by making our lives count, by living a life of selfless generosity, and by telling as many people as we can about the good news of God's amazing grace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun, says the, says the old hymn, the sun forbears to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. Some of you may need to confess a fear. We've come to the Lord right now for forgiveness. And some perhaps are, are not making their lives count and, and then come and seek God's purpose. We pray. Some may have wandered away uh, from God's grace. It is never too late to come back, to repent and get back on the right track. Would you do so now as we pray? Father, I've been afraid to make my life count for you. And Lord, I've been afraid to use the abilities that you've given me in, in ministry. I've been afraid to, to tithe, to put you first in my finances, in my calendar, in my abilities. I've been afraid to identify myself as a follower of you at work, at school, in my community. Please forgive me for taking your grace for granted. Our Father, you who are in heaven, I want to make my life count for you. I want to commit the rest of my life from now on to use what you have given me in the service of you as I serve others to fulfill your purpose. I want to accomplish your mission. I want to become a generous person because of all you have given me. I'm going to trust you with my treasures, with my time, with my talents from now on. I want to be used in sharing the good news of your gospel in whatever shape that may come. Help me to find at least one person this week to invite to hear your word and experience your amazing grace. Friends, if you made a new commitment to Christ today, whether to accept him as your Lord and Savior, or whether to, to begin to trust in him once again, please let us know. We want to hear from you. We want to build community with you. And so, dear God, thank you for loving me enough to die for me. I don't understand it all, but I do know it is because of your amazing grace. Because of what you did all those years ago, I am now set free from my sin. So lead me from here on out, I pray. For it is in the name of Jesus that we ask all these things. Amen. As always, we are so grateful to have you join us in our services each week. And we pray that you will be motivated to put your faith in God into action. So would you please visit our website of 217 Faith and help us to spread the word by liking and sharing and clicking uh, what you see there. As we mentioned earlier, we do want to share this resource with you. We believe that it is going to be a blessing in your life and for you to read through it and share with others and work to whatever it is that God is doing in your life. We are humbled by God's calling in our lives to preach his message of hope and love and of invitation. So please join us and together we can reach those who truly need a welcoming word of grace from God today. 
Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his face to you and grant you peace. And so, until next time, go in the full assurance that God uh, doesn't merely call you to walk by his instructions, but to act in his righteousness, to trust in his grace, and to be moved by that grace to go and serve and obediently love others. May God bless you.